This is Theology Refresh, this is Iron God's podcast for pastors and Christian leaders. David Mathis here, and today we're talking with Matt Reagan. Matt, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Matt's an elder at Bethlehem. He is the campus director for Campus Outreach Minneapolis at the University of Minnesota. Our topic here is the quote-unquote sacred-secular divide, by which we mean to break that down. And Matt's here to break it down for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, over the years, you've found this to be an important topic to deal with. Uh, with with students, yep. especially on the college campus. Mm-hmm. You've been doing college, college ministry now over a decade. Mm-hmm. Describe for us first, what is this sacred-secular divide that we right. want to break down? Uh, I think it's the idea that there are in this world those things which fit into the spiritual realm, those things that fit into the secular realm. There are things that are hands-off, and there are things that are hands-on. Uh, and if you want to be a good Christian boy or girl— you step into the realm of the hands-on and out of the realm that are of the hands-off, as opposed to the idea that God has created all things good and you know, for us to enjoy in, freely in some sense. And, and I, that's the way I grew up. I, so, yeah. So people will, then they'll put different things in those different baskets. What are the kinds of things right. that get into the, the spiritual basket? Yeah, I mean, that, that would be prayer, the Bible, church, monks and nuns, uh, <laughs> hymns. Things like that, and then on the other end, you have uh, probably sex, alcohol, sports, um, parties, clubs. Uh, some would probably even go as far as politics, money for sure. Even as basic as eating and drinking. Yeah, absolutely, eating and drinking. Which, into that context, the Apostle Paul says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Mm-hmm. He he breaks that kind of secular, sacred, secular divide down in that text. Mm-hmm. Give us some other places where he's breaking down the kind of latent categories that sometimes our right. fallen mind will put on the world. Over and again, but the, the clearest would be First Timothy 4, verses 4 and 5. Everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, uh, and it's made holy by the word of God in prayer. Uh, even the, that context is Paul responding to those who are trying to forbid marriage and and make people abstain from certain foods and he's saying in that context he's saying that's demonic Mm -hmm. that's demonic these people's consciences are seared they're liars who talk like this that god god made everything from genesis just go to genesis 1 genesis 2 everything created by god is very very good and so there's nothing in and of itself that's the key nothing in and of itself that carries any sort of evil in itself it is at at worst you would say Amoral. It doesn't carry a moral standing. At best, you say it's what the Bible says. Good. It's good. Glorifies people God. are moral. That's right. Things are. People amoral. carry moral standings. Things don't carry a moral standing. So that the the amoral thing, for example, even so much as the activity of studying the Bible, you could even say just the activity would be an amoral thing. The the book with the ink, amoral in that sense. Now the Bible's it's, it's it's something of its own category, but we'll take that for example. If you go to the Bible in order, like the Pharisees, to broaden your phylactery, in order to to demonstrate to everyone how much you know of it, how much you can memorize of it, to make yourself feel feel better than your buddy who didn't study his Bible seven days out of seven, at that point, you have made that activity impure. The thing, the study of the Bible was impure for you. So when Paul says in Titus 1 verse 15, to the pure all things are pure, and those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, that applies to everything. Everything that God created, it can be impure or impure, depending on how you, the moral component of that whole situation 
apply it. So, so what this really gets at is the heart. That's absolutely right. When you prop up the categories, nice little clean boxes for sacred and secular, you can give a stiff arm to really getting in mm-hmm. to the heart and mm-hmm. the evil that we have in us, desperately wicked. And that's uh, probably the primary aim, I think, is to, to get at a place where, you know, the, the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, your disciples are washed with, washed, are eating with unwashed hands. And uh, Jesus' response is ultimately, you know that it's not the things out there that come into you that defile you. It's the stuff in you that comes out of you that defiles you. That's, this is where all the evil thoughts and the theft and the, the murder, the immorality, this is where it all comes from. It's in you. But I think probably the primary aim of the divide of the, the sacred-secular divide in our culture the primary, at least personal aim, is to say, don't come near my heart. Mm-hmm. I, want to, I want to be able to pawn off my personal evil on some other entity and both not have to repent, therefore not have to receive the charity of God, the mercy of God. We'll do anything, not have to receive grace. We'd rather feel good about ourselves. That and we want to feel better than other people. So if there are specific, clear categories that we can go to and say, I don't drink or smoke or cuss as much as that guy does— then you have quantifiable measures to say, I'm better than you, mm-hmm. as opposed to this less quantifiable, qualitative, heart-level evil to be able to look at it and say, I did not approach that the way I wanted to. Lord, I'm sorry for not having trusted you, loved you, worshipped you, done this to your glory with thankfulness, and I repent, and then you receive his mercy. Mm-hmm. So there's a tendency in me and you to protect the evil of my heart by forming these categories, That's putting right. a good list, a bad list. When students come into come into college, how are some of the ways you help open their mind mm-hmm. up uh, to and to the danger of these categories, as well as the full orbed Christian way of thinking? Right. Um, well, I think one of the ways is if a student comes to me and says, "Can I do this or can I not do this?" I want to say, "Well, you tell me. How's your heart? Do you need it? Does it master you?" So you go to First Corinthians six. And Paul says everything, you know, he's quoting the Corinthian wise men, that all things are permissible, but not everything is beneficial. All things are permissible, but I won't be mastered by anything. So I'm asking the student not, I'm not responding to them saying, yeah, you can do this and you can't do this. I'm saying, how's your heart? Is this thing mastering you? And so we are dialoguing over what their motivations are for any, any one thing. So if they say, can I play video games 30 minutes a day, 45 minutes a day? I say, you tell me. You tell me what's wise, and then we're going to dialogue over it. We're going to get in their lives, into their hearts. What's how is it mastering them, or not? That's one way. Mm-hmm. And then I, across the board, in teaching, in groups, everything we do, I'm trying to help students see that God is not boring. That mm-hmm. God has made a world uh, a a wonderful world to enjoy. I remember Pastor John uh, saying in in one of his sermons, John Piper saying. Uh, there are fish at the bottom of the sea that we will, our eyes will never see because God is resplendent. Mm. He, he is creative and made a world of wondrous, fun things. So I'm trying to convince students that, they're, that God is not boring. They are. Mm. If they don't respond, they, I'm, I'm going to show them right views of God, that he made everything good, wonderful, enjoyable to be enjoyed. Every good thing points to God. Everything that's not good is ultimately twisted to be that way, not reflecting God. And... I want them to have more and more of a, uh, a heartbeat to enjoy the good things that are in the world. It's mm, good. Mm. And there's uh, connections here to ministry, not just to personal enjoyment, mm-hmm. but there's a, a public good involved mm-hmm. in terms of how we think what is on and off limits for right. avenues for ministry. Right. Uh, things we can do, media that we can gauge mm-hmm. o- others over, mm-hmm. uh, places to go even. 
Um, how does how does your your vision of the sacred secular quote unquote mm-hmm. relate to ability to do ministry and bring the gospel into context? Well, you know, I think especially in the realm of the arts and film, primarily for me, it's it's film. Right now, we're, we're at one of our campuses. We're doing a a theme called unavoidable over at St. Thomas, and the idea would be that every meeting, every teaching meeting, we're going to bring a song from a, a secular, quote-unquote secular artist, or a film clip, or, or what have you, to demonstrate that the truth of God, the beauty of Jesus, the reality of the gospel, those things are unavoidable everywhere because there's not one square inch over of this whole earth over which the Lord, does, the Lord Jesus did not say, mine, it's mine. He, in him all things hold together. He is the lens of this whole creation. And so this last week I taught about, uh, I used a clip from King Kong, <laughs> and it's counterintuitive because you don't watch King Kong and say, it's this weird kind of almost love story between a woman and a gorilla. And <laughs> you, don't, you don't think, oh, King Kong is another place where God brings his glory to bear. He, he demonstrates in this shadow the substance of himself. And so as you watch in, in the medium of film where you have a few hours, two hours, three hours in King Kong's case of condensed emotion with intense visuals and, you know, Peter Jackson at the helm making everything look really, really pop and music to, to make these, your emotions really come out. And then in all that beauty to say, look at the desires of the human heart and look how they are met in these characters. And therefore you point people in ministry to Christ. It has been a really effective way as opposed to simple words. Mm-hmm. Helps a lot. And in ministry context as well. Absolutely in ministry context, yeah. And we're not sent in solo. Mm-hmm. We're not sent as lone rangers, but mm-hmm. in together. That's right. And there's a, a corporate wisdom. There's a plurality in helping to discern. Is this a helpful medium in which mm-hmm. to bring the gospel in this context or not? Anything you right. have to say about that that team aspect and decision making? Yep. Um, a few things. One is you, you have to be careful of the consciences of the people that you're ministering to. Uh, and understanding that's part of the wisdom. So understanding that there, there are some who, in their conscience, are not. You know, if you read First Corinthians fourteen, I mean, sorry, Romans fourteen or First Corinthians ten, uh, the idea, or First Corinthians eight, the idea that there are some who may not respond as favorably. So you have to be careful. This is we we are not wanting to make shipwreck of anybody's faith. Not wanting anybody to stumble in how you think about what you present to them, even if if they can't watch a movie in faith, then. Maybe that's not the, the medium. But I think when it comes to, to ministry to people and understanding, helping them understand what is, what is good for me and what's not good for me. Because all of it, you say, well, what if, if, if everything's just free game, why don't you spend your whole life doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it? If, if you can go and watch sports all the time or play fantasy football all the time, play video games all the time, where does Bible study and where does ministry and all the things, where do these come in? That's the team dynamic. I think that's where you need wisdom outside of your own subjective mind to ask someone to ask you, is this mastering you? Mm-hmm. Is this beneficial for you? Or is it mastering you? Mm-hmm. Um, is it, can you abstain from it for any sustained season of time without getting the shakes, mm-hmm. without getting the, the withdrawal that, that those who drink you know, a Starbucks mocha every morning get when they do away with it for a week. Mm-hmm. How is it with you when it comes to the enjoyment of watching sports, the enjoyment of March Madness, the enjoyment of fantasy football, the enjoyment of video games? College students play, some college students play video games eight, 10 hours a day. Seems like mastery to me, but you never know. So you want to really get in someone's life, know everything. You have to have a few people that know everything about you mm-hmm. and, and say, I'm, I'm going to tell you what's going on in my deepest heart and you're going to know as opposed to, here's a little checklist of mine. 
that that's real accountability. Yeah. Cycle mm-hmm. back around to that test of abstinence. Yeah. And the role of abstinence in bringing about the the right and mm-hmm. full appreciation of God's gifts. Yeah. Uh, I think in general we still have to understand that the life that we live now is a fast. We're fasting for Jesus. So there are a thousand things that bombard us day in and day out that look really good. They're shadows of the substance that is Christ. They look really, really good. They taste good to us, but we're still saying, no, I have a bridegroom. Uh, I don't see him yet, but even though I don't see him, I, I believe in him. I love him. I rejoice with joy inexpressible because I'm going to obtain then the salvation of my soul, namely that he would bring me to God. Uh, and so at that point, you have to be able to look at the things that you enjoy and say, if I can do without it uh, for a little while, what that's saying is there's not a there's not a ceiling. I haven't put a capstone on this thing. So, uh, you know, I've talked to you about Roger Federer before. We I'm a big Roger Federer fan. When I watch Roger Federer play Rafael Nadal, it's like the the pinnacle of my sports enjoyment, sporting enjoyment. I love to watch him. He's the maestro on the court. He's an, an artistic tennis player. It's greatness personified in so many ways. And so when I watch it, I can either say, today I am going to watch Wimbledon, and that is going to be the pinnacle of my joy. Or I can say, uh, and, and, or I can look at it and say, when I watch Roger Federer, he's going to point me to Jesus, the shadow that points to the substance, the sunbeam that points to the sun. So, and, and the litmus test to know whether I have the ceiling, the cap on that or not, whether it's ultimate or not, is to be able to say, sometimes I'm going to do without the Wimbledon final today. I'm going to do without my fantasy football team today. I'm going to come home from church and I'm not going to turn on the game and see how the stats are doing because ultimately... Jesus is the aim that I have and can I do without a shadow or a sunbeam for a moment to make sure that the substance the sun is still my final aim he's the one that I'm holding out for mm-hmm. yeah. good thank yeah. you would you close us in prayer sure father we praise you that you are a God of free gifts a God who is resplendent who is creative who is kind and overflowing with with beautiful shadows of your substance. Um, We praise you that you, Lord Jesus, hold all things together. You are the lens of creation through which everything has been made so that we can see you in all of the the wonders of your world. I pray that we would never be bored with you. I pray that we would never think of you as a burden. I ask that you would help us to move away from that self-righteousness that dichotomizes sacred things and secular things. Uh, so that we could actually know our own hearts, so we could see that we're the problem. I'm the problem here, not the thing that you've created, and and I am the one who brings twists to bear. I pray that for all of us so that we could, in turn, know ourselves, repent, be broken, and receive your lavish mercy so that once again we could admire and enjoy you, the the sun to every sunbeam. Would you give us wisdom and humility to be able to ask for help in pursuing the right things in the right way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.